Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to Starkville. Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Glanville. Mike tried his coffee at Starbucks with a double latte skinny. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. <laughs> Greetings and welcome to the Athletic Baseball Show, where you'll find great baseball talk all week long and all season long. I'm Jason Stark, and I'm here today with my good friends, Ken Rosenthal and Doug Glanville. And if you're wondering what show you just started listening to, that's a good question. (laughs) Is this Starkville, the Ken's Mailbag Edition? Is this Ken's Mailbag, the Starkville Edition? I guess that's yes, and also yes. Am I right, boys? Yes. Well, since we love to like combine names, I mean, it could be like Melville at Stark, even if you want to, you know, go deep enough. <laughs> Ken, what have we done to your show? Oh, it's fine. It's enhanced the show for sure. And Jason, <laughs> this reminds me of when I was growing up reading comic books. Now I'm going to date myself because I don't know that anyone reads comic books anymore. But I love Batman. I love Superman. But I really loved the Justice League of America, which was all the yeah. superheroes combined. Now, yeah. I'm not comparing us to superheroes except maybe Doug, <laughs> but it's kind of the same idea. Yeah, you know, I, like I was thinking about how sometimes you're, you know, you're watching TV and every once in a while the casts from two of your uh, favorite shows will cross <laughs> over and visit each other. I know one of, that I'll never forget is Jack Bauer from 24 shows up on The Simpsons. And the idea is he's going to save Bart Simpson's school from something or other. So, Ken, remind me of why you had to flee to Starkville so we could save you? Well, there was a kidnap threat. Someone didn't like the bow tie and said, Ken, we're coming to get you. So, for me, Starkville has always been a safe place. And I requested from you and Doug just a little bit of a safe haven until this threat passes. And frankly, it might never pass because I still wear bow ties and I'm going to wear them every Saturday, it seems, until eternity. So I appreciate you guys taking me in and just kind of rescuing me. Doug, have we ever had anybody seek asylum in Starkville before? Well, not not due to bow ties, but uh, I think we can put up a statue. It's one of my favorite things to do. This time we'll have a bow tie statue, just a giant bow tie in the center of the town. Will it be life-size, or in Ken's case, will we make it a little larger than him? Well, in in, in uh, campus, uh, you know, University of Pennsylvania (laughs) campus, they have a broken button, and it's like the giant size of, you know, Big Ben. I think we go that high, uh, just huge bow tie. Uh, Wow. 
Yep. Giant bow tie. Okay, I'm 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 in. And just Ken, you should know we we're here for you, pal. <laughs> just like I know you would be here to rescue us if we were ever under siege by <laughs> I don't know Twitter trolls, evil trivia guest stars, whatever. <laughs> but we help each other. Am I right? That's exactly right, Jason. You guys are always welcome. Inside the mailbag or outside, however you want to do it. <laughs> wow, I've never lived inside a mailbag before. But, uh, anyway, now that we're all here, we should probably find some stuff to talk about besides each other. Um, so we'll have some Ken's mailbag questions later, uh, although I hope we will second-guess Ken's answers because that sounds fun. Um, and we'll also have a strange but true classic coming up. A classic! But, but, but first... Here's what else we had in mind. Um, you, you may have heard it's summer. It's Memorial Day weekend. What that probably means for you if you're listening is you spent the last 48 hours drinking frozen daiquiris in a beach chair. But what that means for us is a quarter of this baseball season has passed. And you know what that means for us? It means we've got a great excuse for easy programming, which we are big fans of. So... Here's what we're going to do. We're each going to pick one team and one player that we're excited about and one team and one player that we're concerned about, which sounds like podcast magic to me. You guys in on this idea? We're in. Okay. Uh, All in. All right. Why don't we start with teams that we like so far? Ken, we'll begin with you. I will start with a team that is – to me, the most surprising in baseball right now, and that's the Minnesota Twins. And if you recall, at the start of the season, even around the time they signed Correa, there was a lot of talk, okay, great, they've got Correa. Who exactly is going to pitch for this team? What is their rotation <laughs> going to look like? And I remember Dan Hayes of The Athletic writing a lot about this. I remember writing about it myself. They did not have much in the way of proven starters in their rotation, and you can argue that in a way they still don't. Remember, it was Dylan Bundy, it was Sonny Gray, it was Joe Ryan, a bunch of other guys. They really weren't certain of what they had. And here they are. They are third in the major leagues in rotation ERA as we tape this on Sunday morning. And that, to me, is astonishing. Ryan has emerged as really something of an ace. He's on the COVID IL right now. But here's a guy they acquired in the Nelson Cruz trade. And we always talk about how the, the Rays... Never lose a trade. They might have lost this one because Joe Ryan looks like a bona fide ace. Sonny Gray was down for a while. He's back. He's pitching well. Bundy's been adequate. Bailey Ober's been really good. They just have a number of guys. You look at Archer, Josh Winder when he was healthy, Smeltzer when he comes up. They're pretty good from a starting rotation standpoint right now. Their bullpen's okay. Obviously, it would be better if they still had Rodgers, but... I just like what I see from this team. Their offense has been a little bit better than league average, but I believe it might get better. Arias, maybe one of the more unsung players in the game. So, guys, I just see them as a huge surprise based on the way they played last year. And with Correa and Buxton, when he's right, they're quite exciting as well. Yeah, that's a great pick. If this is how they're going to pitch, this this is clearly a playoff team, clearly. Uh, Doug, what's your team? Yeah, um, I'm glad Ken rolled with the Twins. I did actually pick them to win the Central. I feel good about that. 
You uh, did. Hopefully they, that's a long marathon. Though. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, we'll see. But um, yeah, Reyes, man, 13 strikeouts on a season. That's like, he's amazing. Amazing. 22 walks. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, I picked the Brewers, the Brew Crew. Uh, I think they're a team that, well, you know, we know about their rotation. The big question was, wasn't so much about their offense given last year. It's more about achieving at the level they could. You know, someone like Christian Yelich kind of waiting for him. And, you know, he's had, you know, he's found some of his swagger back. But, you know, Ozzie Timmons, my old roommate from back in A-ball, he's their assistant or one of the co-hitting coaches. And, you know, had a chance to talk to him about just the, the upside. And we see guys like Adames or, and uh, Rias and guys that can really have had always had a ceiling, but they're starting to kind of put them together. Uh, I think the real key for the Brewers was whether they were going to hit and whether they're going to have the ability to sort of put it together consistently. And given the teams in the East, the other teams, uh, I'm sorry, other teams in the division are not really sort of giving them a whole lot of run. You know, the Cubs have struggled, the Pirates, the Reds. Uh, you know, they're just trying to just hold their own, basically. So right now it looks like a, a one-team race. And just, you know, some of the things they do, like they keep the ball in the ballpark on the pitching side. I mean, their rotation is, you know, nobody wants to face these guys. And when you have you know, the closers and the way they can close out ball games, uh, there's not a whole lot of weaknesses. And the question was the hitting, and they've kind of addressed that at least enough to be able to put up some runs. Ken, you just saw them, right? You, you, you in on the Brewers? I am in on the Brewers. And I'm always in on the Brewers because their manager, Craig Council, is one of the top five in the game. And they have a unique way both with the front office, the way he manages the team, the coaching staff, of getting the most out of the players they have. They're never the most talented. They've got some star players. They've got some talent, obviously, especially on the pitching staff. But I am a big in on them. Yes. Yeah, I second that. Um, okay, I'm going to probably take the least surprising team in baseball. I, I know I shouldn't take the Dodgers. Everybody knew the Dodgers would be good. But here's why I did this. I, are we appreciating – how good are we are we catching on that uh, this is a team that it it looks like it has a chance to be the the best team the most complete team that they've put together in this whole run 10 seasons of greatness and this is a team that has a chance to be historically great run differential right now uh through the first 46 games Run differential of plus 117. So, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit of a math geek. I did the math on this. They're on a pace to have a run differential this year of 412. 412. <laughs> the all-time record is 411 by the 39 Yankees. The National League record is 335. By the 1902 Pirates. 1902! Okay. And this blows my mind that that's what we're looking at. But if you if you really look closely at how they're doing this, nothing about it seems fluky. Uh, offense, they rank first in run scored, on base, slugging, OPS, hard hit percentage, basically everything. Pitching, first in the league in ERA, starters ERA, Open ERA, uh, lowest hard hit rate, basically everything. Uh, fielding, number one in the league in defensive efficiency. Dodgers, good. <laughs> They're amazing. Uh, um, have 
seriously, I like I when I have people appreciated how good they are. And here's the thing that bugged me when I tweeted about this the other day is everybody said on Twitter, well, of course they're great. Look at all the money they spend. Mm -hmm. Isn't it possible to spend money badly? Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, possible. Jason, everybody on Twitter is hardly a representative portion of the American population. Thank Come goodness. On. But Where did that start? <laughs> what's amazing about the Dodgers to me is what hasn't gone right. Kershaw, not yes. healthy. Max Muncie, now injured and was terrible. Justin Turner was terrible for a while, and yet the big three, it's absolutely ridiculous. The Trey Turner, Freddie Freeman, Mookie Betts combination, it's electric. It's incredible on a nightly basis, it seems. And remember, Mookie didn't start that well. So it's not as if this has been just a smooth ride for them. They've they got lost Blake Trinan for a bit. So that's what amazes me. Their depth, the way they just patch holes and everything that they do. Well, yeah, and I, I, and, I, and I talked to Dave Roberts before the Cubs game, and I feel like the Cubs series a, a couple of weeks ago, they that's when Mookie Betts kind of really said, okay, I found it. And he was talking about his mechanics and how he's got to you know tuck his elbow because he felt like he was sweeping under the ball. And, you know, you know how he kind of thinks next level anyway. So, um, and he's just been unbelievable. But, um, but talking to Dave Roberts, he was saying that, in effect, we're, we could be our own worst enemy. Like, that's the only real concern. And the way he framed it was, I have to be able to manage how, how much I use these guys. Because my, the mistake I can make is I just blow people out, I overuse them, and then I don't have what I need you know, as they get late in the season and the postseason, which, you know, they're pretty much already going to be there. So, uh, so, so that's a good problem, right? Like if I don't overmanage these guys and I don't overuse them, we're going to be in great shape. But that's, that's their only enemy right now. That, that's how good this team is. And, uh, and like you said, they just, they just come up with someone else. If someone is down, they have the depth. And, you know, they've been a lot of fun to watch. Uh, all right, enough about them. Uh, what about teams we don't like? Uh, Doug, why don't we start with you in this one? Well, I, I'm going to think of it more like Twitter. We unlike, you know, you want to hit the like button and you're like, oh, what, what happened? I unlike them. Yes. Uh, I, my, when we talked about concern, it's, it's more of the Braves because the standard that they set uh, from last season, you know, like, OK, fine. You know, are we waiting for the magic trade in July? But, you know, the thing is, there's some of the things they're doing similar even to the Brewers, right? They're, you know, look at offensively. They're fairly close. I mean, they're not hitting much for average. And the you know, Brewers have a power edge, but they're hitting some home runs. They have the ability to knock it out of the ballpark. But it's more the pitching side. You know, just the they haven't really found any rhythm. And and a team like the Braves, they're you know, they're they're sitting there chasing the Mets, as is everybody in the East. And the longer they go, it's gonna be it might be a different scenario where the division isn't something you can catch. You know, like it's fine a year ago, you can still maybe sneak in the playoffs with all the extra wild card and all that. But um you know, I look at them and I see a team that it's going to be harder for them to kind of find that magic in July, in July if they need to than it was a year ago, even if they do get into the postseason somehow. So that's, you know, that's a team that has a much bigger upside. And it's more about looking at their numbers and saying they, they could be in a better position if they had the model from last season, but it's, it's not really clicking the way it could. I'm not that worried about them at all. 
not in a, not in a league with three wild cards. Um, I, I don't recommend they wait till August to get over 500 again, but other than that, uh, I think there's a, there's a lot of upside there. Ken, what's your team? The Philadelphia Phillies. And this is a team, Jason, I seem to recall you writing about before the season started <laughs> about this grand experiment, putting a team together really of sluggers, but defensive shortcomings. And it is playing out entirely predictably. Actually, in some ways, not predictably because they're not hitting the way they expected. Now, right. for all their troubles, Castellanos, Hoskins, Real Muto, Schwarber, four guys that are not performing to their career levels, not performing in a league context either the way you'd want with what we have here, this dead ball start to the season. With all of that, they're still 10th in the league or in that range in runs per game. So they're pretty good offensively. Problem is, they've got to be probably top five to overcome the rest of their problems, which really stems from the defense mostly, but also the bullpen, which we've seen at times kind of melt down. To me, it's just very difficult to win this way, to win with a team that's going to be so poor in any advanced metric you look at, a team that routinely forces its pitchers to get more than 27 outs, adds pitches to their pitch counts, it's just a tough way to go, and if you're not going to hit the way you anticipated, it's just not going to happen. So, to me, they're kind of a predictable disappointment, but they're still a disappointment. Um, you know, I think it it is possible to win this way, um, but it's harder to win this way. Yes. Um, you, you know that I, I know the 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 quote from that spring training story that we both loved was from Charlie Manuel, who said. <laughs> If we hit, we'll feel better. <laughs> well, they, they haven't hit. They haven't fielded better. And, you know, the strange thing is they're they're right at the top of the league in stuff like sweet spot percentage <laughs> and hard hit uh, percentage. Hot and dog sales. Stuff that, <laughs> you know, I haven't checked hot dog sales. Probably not. But those are they seem like predictive stats. And they would predict this is a team that should hit. But as you just said, they've got to hit. I've been talking to teams that have been that have been playing them because I'm always interested in their take after they played them. And I talked to a GM of one team who said, here's the thing. If you're going to build around offense, everybody's got to hit. Yes. It can't be three guys hitting or four guys hitting. You, you, you built your team so that seven, eight, nine guys need to hit. They haven't had that at any point. One other point, Jason, uh, just to qualify this a little bit. They have played the toughest schedule in the National League. That does matter. But at the same time, the problems that they have defensively, they're going to surface against bad teams too. The ball gets in play, they're in trouble. And that's where they are right now. Now, and the other qualifier is Harper being out as a right fielder. That has hurt them. It's forced Castellanos into right field, Schwarber to play the outfield more. I get it. And that's fair. But at the same time, the way the team is constructed, they're not deep enough from a defensive standpoint to even address this, much less overcome it. All right, well, all right one more quick aside. Um, we wanted to talk about this in straight, the Strange But True segment, but it got preempted for way more important developments. Uh, they had a play, the Phillies, last week that I've personally never seen. It was scored as a wild pitch E8. <laughs> okay, where, where uh, Jose Alvarez... Through a wild pitch, JT Real Muto tried to uh, 
nail the the runner off second base. The ball was not caught by the second baseman, the shortstop, or the center fielder. Went all the way to the fence. Wild pitch E eight. Doug, you were a, you were an E eight a few times in your career. That ever happened to you? I I, I well the, I definitely overran a ball that was thrown by the catcher as a second. That is a hundred percent. However, oh, wait, I don't no know. No errors in between. I don't know about the wild pitch though. I'm not sure for the wild pitch, but I I know someone's running the second and I. I was doing actually a good job. I was backing up. So I was sprinting in to get there, and I was a little bit too fast. And then it was a wet turf, and it just sort of skipped. And, you know, the vet, it just – once it hits that hydroplane, once I missed <laughs> it, it was like they circled the bases. So I have absolutely done that. Uh, you know, that was one case where it was better to be lazy and not run in and just <laughs> sit back. So, oh, well. I'm going to say it's it's the first E8 in history. Um, I'll, have to, I'll have to research this week. <laughs> a wild but friend of mine said it was the first uh, E2, E4, E6, E8 in history. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Uh, we really digressed. Uh, I, I still need to pick my team. Yes. I am going to take the Giants. And maybe that's a stretch because I know that if the season ended today, which is unlikely, uh, they'd actually be the third wild card team in the National League. But... Uh, that seems precarious. I'm taking the Giants because they are not playing like the team that won 107 games last year. You know, as we record this, they've just lost two in a row to the Reds, the team with the worst record in baseball. They're 10 and 14 this month. But to me, the, the Giants are a reminder of just how hard baseball is. I look at Farhan Zaidi as the master team builder, the master roster constructor. But last year he assembled one of those teams where it felt like all the pieces in the puzzle fit. And this year feels like a reminder that that's a hard formula to replicate, and especially the pitching pieces. Um, last year they were second in the sport in ERA. This year 25th. Last year third in in starting pitching ERA this year, 22nd. Last year, first in bullpen ERA. This year, 26th. So could I see them making the playoffs again? I, I guess I could see them as a wild card. Could I see them making a run in October? Not the way that they're playing right now. Anybody disagree? No, I think those are great points, Jason. The one thing is... With an expanded format, which we have, and with seven teams in the National League, essentially non-competitive from a postseason perspective. The Marlins, the Nationals in the East, the Cubs, the Reds and the Pirates in the Central, the Rockies and Diamondbacks in the West. They're not making the playoffs. So you have, in essence, eight other teams vying for six spots. That's not that unreasonable for any of these clubs, including the right. Phillies, by the way. Right. So, yes, it's going to be an interesting run down the stretch. And, yes, the Giants have not performed the way we have seen them perform, or at least last year. And your points are great because they have definitely declined. But it doesn't take much, as we saw last year with the Braves in 2019 with the Nationals, for a team to get hot. They're capable of that. Yeah, I think it depends yep. on the bar. You know, if, if we just getting to the playoffs, you know, is one thing, and it's definitely, you know, just the numbers say it's easier. 
but it's like just their ability to go far, you know, and, and we know the Dodgers are just in the way, period. But, but um, that, you know, that's the concern. They, they did such a great job at their bench last year. And, you know, you know, historic levels of like pinch hitting and, you know, they had like four, what was it, four, over 400 at-bats pinch hitting last year. And, uh, you know, I mean, it was unbelievable. So, uh, but, you know, I, we, we, I saw Gabe Kapper a couple of weeks ago and, you know, he talked about just the personnel usage. And I was always curious about, well, now that they're kind of limiting rosters and all these things, you know, how that plays a role in the team that loves to use their bench. So he's adjusting as well. A lot of rules are, you know, changing and uh, and so and you just have to deal with the Dodgers, who are just next level right now. Yeah, that 107 win bar. Uh, yeah. that we shouldn't expect anybody to clear that every year. No. <laughs> All right, now let's do players. Uh, why don't we start with players that we're worried about, so we can end on a high note? Uh, Ken, why don't you start? Marcus Sebian. He finally hit his first home run Saturday night. It was a grand slam. It took him 43 games, 173 at-bats, and 190 plate appearances. Wow. Let me remind you that Marcus Semien last year hit 45 home runs. And right now he's sitting on, I don't know, the fourth lowest OPS in the sport. It's just hard to believe. I get it. New team, transition, a lot of money, pressure that he has not dealt with before, but my goodness, it's been quite a fall so far. Yeah, baseball's weird. Doug, what do you yeah. got? Uh, yes, so I, I'm going to go Joey Gallo. Uh, I, I think he's really struggled, to, to say the least. I know he's uh, really? out with COVID. I think he was on COVID IL. I, I don't want to misspeak, but I know he was out. But, um, yeah, the difference is, look, he's not going to be a high average guy. And, and when you're playing at Yankee Stadium, it's like, fine, you don't have to hit for high average just – hit your 40 home runs, even if you hit like 180. And there's a lot of players right now hitting in the 100s. It's just, it's kind of par for the course now, as long as they're, they're on base guys. But the thing about Gallo is kind of concerning is the, the walk rate is one on, on the lower levels of his career. And that's what he needs to do. And he has 17 walks, 51 strikeouts. He needs to be, you know, closer to one-to-one. Even if he is striking out a lot, he's on base all the time. But his on-base percentage is, is below 300 at this point. So, um, you know, I think I remember uh, we were doing a game with the Yankees in batting practice, and I think my colleague had asked him about his strategy and taking, you know, how he was hitting. And I was watching BP and how he, you know, was popping up kind of everything to the left. He looked like he was trying to stay inside the ball. And I think he responded about how he was trying to hit the ball up the middle. So you could tell it's like timing was sort of off. And when he gets it going, you know, the power is there. So, I'm going to say Gallo, especially in New York, because that's, you know, that's a tough place to struggle for sure. Uh, yeah, Joey Gallo in the dead ball era is not a pretty sight. I think that's safe to say. All right, I'm going to take uh, Javi Baez. I just wrote a big piece about um, three ex-Cubs, uh, Anthony Rizzo, Kyle Schwarber, and Javi, beginning their, jersey, their journeys with their new teams and – how upbeat they were about the stories they could all write. Um, Javi needs to rewrite his story. <laughs> this is not what he had in mind. He's under the Mendoza line, 38 strikeouts, six walks, three homers, no steals, one of the highest ground ball rates in baseball. He's still fun to watch play shortstop, but oh my God. Uh, only five years and $120 million left. After this, um, 
The Tigers spent money. Not a lot to show for it so far. Javi, rewrite. That's my advice. Uh, <laughs> all right, players that we like so far. Doug, you want to start? Yeah, and this is a tag real quick. The, a lot of the <clears throat> a lot of the core Cubs are struggling this year. You know that were traded. You know Bryant's been out. Rizzo's had a really tough May. So I don't know. It might be just sort of a Cubs thing that they're all sorting through <laughs> early on. But uh, yeah, for my There's so many Cubs things, so many, <laughs> so many. Uh, I, I, have, I mean, there's so many fun guys too to pick in this category. But Paul Goldschmidt, uh, you know, it's a guy I picked for MVP like 10 years ago. I've always like watched him. Uh, you know, they, what do they call him? America's guest or whatever they call him. Uh, but uh, you know, he, they do. He, he has some nickname. I, I got to look it up. So I'm going to throw it to the Twitter first. They, they know better than I do. But he's. Um, and I always call him Quiet Riot, right? He's just a, a low-key 80s band that just hits, and you don't even know what's happening. Well, you look up. I'm looking at these numbers. 622 slugging, leading the league in hits. 355, 420, 622 slug uh, as of this podcast today. So he's, he's a phenomenal player. He's always been an all-around player, uh, a good base runner, and a good defender because, by the way, he has no errors this season at first base. So, so uh, and so I know earlier I said, you know, the Brewers kind of have this, you know, one team race in some respect. But obviously I should amend that when I think about Col- Paul Goldschmidt and what he's brought to the Cardinals. And, you know, if they can stay healthy and they get the pitching and they sort out the rest of their infield, uh, which Gorman and others might might be the answers to, you know, it's a team to watch. So, uh, but Goldie's, you know, playing his best baseball of his career and uh, that's saying something. He's been in the league for you know since 2011, so a great start to a season. Uh, all right, two things. Uh, the nickname is America's first baseman. Oh, so you're pretty close there, Doug. <laughs> America was in there anyway. It's <laughs> not America's guest. <laughs> I was thinking of Rick Sutcliffe, America's guest. Yeah, I got the right <laughs> country. Different. So, I, so according to our trivia, we should get that right because I got America and I got the right country. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're all guests here. That's true. Uh, second thing, while you were talking, it, it occurred to me, I, I think we have the makings of a great weird and wild note. Has anybody ever almost gone through the whole month of April without a homer and then been leading the league in slugging Memorial Day? That's it's amazing. I, that sounds like a hard thing to do. Yeah, I'll leave it to you, man, to figure that one <laughs> <Okay>. out. <laughs> yeah, I'm on the case. Uh, all right, uh, Ken, who do you have? Manny Machado. And I've seen Manny in person the past two weekends and he is playing at a level even above his normal level of brilliance and it's something to see really now this weekend he's got a little bit of a tennis elbow he's down and he might be slowing down a little bit but as we record he's leading the majors in Fangraphs war and I believe reference war too and leading the National League in batting average which of course we know is not the tell-all be-all stat but he's doing everything <laughs> and I wrote this week about his base running, which has never been something we've normally associated Manny with. We think of the great defense. We think of the amazing offense that he provides. But he has been on point as a base runner as well. And the thing that amazes me most is if you had told me at the start of the season he would have done this without Tatis, I would have said no. Without Tatis, he'll probably expand his zone, try to do too much, fall into that normal pattern that you often see players do when they have to compensate for the loss of a great teammate. It's been just the opposite. He has elevated his game, and it's been something to behold. Yeah, what a year. Um, All right, I'm going to take your Don Alvarez Mm. uh, from the Astros. Uh, I've talked about him before here. He was my AL MVP pick. 
he's the most top secret superstar in our game. Um, pay attention. Hard hit rate this year is 45.2%. That's number one in the American League. Soft hit percentage, under 8%. He has the biggest gap in baseball between hard hit and soft hit rate, 37%. Uh, Aaron Judge is next at 36%. Uh, it's amazing, and nobody ever talks about this guy. Here's my favorite Yordan stat. I, this is another one I've given before. Um, his career OPS plus is 151. Uh, only active players who are better than that with at least 1,000 plate appearances are Trout, Tatis, Soto, and Judge. Uh, he, he's the new big poppy. He really is. He's amazing. Air Yordan, secret superstar. <laughs> you guys agree? Yeah, I mean, he, well, he, he saw the dominance of the postseason, at least before the World Series. I mean, you know, incredible talent. Um, yeah, I mean, he's definitely under the radar, just low-key. But, you know, I don't know what, what the factor is, is, whether it being in Houston and not in in certain notable markets comparatively. But, I mean, I, I agree. I Nobody wants to pitch to that guy. <laughs> so, yeah, no, nobody talks about how dead the ball is when he's up. <laughs> no, he's the one who's right, making it dead. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those balls aren't feeling so good after he hits them. All right, let's move along to the mailbag. You've waited all day for it. It's time. Hey, this is Ken. I'm not available right now. Please leave a voicemail. Uh, now, how the mailbag usually works is. We bring in the mayor of Starkville, who's not the mayor of Ken's Mailbag, Tim McMaster, to read the questions. I am throwing Tim out of the read the questions seat. I'm going to read the questions this week. This is something I've always dreamed of doing. Just one more thing to check off my bucket list. Ken, are you okay with me reading the questions from your mailbag? Jason, I don't know that it kind of is up there with winning the BBWA's Career Excellence <laughs> Award, but if this is what you consider an honor, have at it. Isn't that considered like mail fraud or something? You're not allowed to read other people's mail. Something, something that... <laughs> Let's not alert the mail fraud police, okay? We're going to do this. It's our show. We're just making up the rules as we go along. Uh, let's do this. I'll, I'll, I'll read the first one. It's from Jason Reinhardt. Can you ready? Uh, with pitchers trying to go all out, throwing in the 95 to 100 plus mile per hour range, is damaging your arm worth it? That's his question. Uh, he says, I believe in the documentary Fastball, they mention the human arm should only be able to throw 88 to 91 miles per hour for a fastball without doing much damage. Yet, we see pitchers with arm and oblique issues trying to get max speed. So, Ken, what are your thoughts about arm injuries happening in baseball? Would pitchers go back to pitching more like an art rather than just throwing their hardest? And as always, thanks for taking my questions. Jason, we've talked about this before on the mailbag, and it's a topic that is kind of near and dear to me, actually. So I've told this story before, and I'll tell it again. Years ago, when John Farrell was the Red Sox pitching coach, I would say to him, John, 
We do all these things. We watch pitch counts. We monitor workloads. All of these measures are taken (laughs) to keep pitchers healthy. And guess what? More pitchers get hurt every year. It seems to me that the plan's not working. And John would look at me funny and say, "Uh, Ken, what would you like us to do? Just ignore everything? And he had a point. I thought I had a point too. (laughs) Now, the good news is in this era when teams are guilty of this and it trickles right down to the youth level, of emphasizing velocity over all else. Things structurally are changing in the sport that I believe are going to help in this regard. The pitch clock is one. The pace is going to be quicker. I don't know that you're going to be able to blow 97, 98 like you do now coming out of the bullpen when you've got to throw the ball every 11, 14, 17 seconds, whatever it's going to be. That's coming next year. The other thing that was supposed to take effect actually in the pandemic year before the pandemic, and it's still going to take effect this year, eventually, now the date has been pushed to June 19th, is the limit on the size of a pitching staff going to 13. And there are some people in baseball who would prefer to go even lower. And if you go lower, or even if you go to 13, and you're forced to use more pitchers. And with the option limits now, you can't just keep sending guys down and doing all those things. Then you're going to force pitchers, hopefully starters in particular, to go longer. And if they go longer, maybe velocity becomes less of an emphasis. So I know fans often get upset by all of these different things that baseball proposes and wants to experiment with. But in my view, these are two things that could lead to a better game and less of an emphasis on velocity. Uh, Ken, I know you're not used to, after you answer these questions, people chiming in, <laughs> but we, since we've just t- taken over your show, we get to chime in. Uh, Doug, you need to chime in on this one? I have some thoughts. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think the key point that really jumps at me is about youth sports, like a lot of the ripple effect of whatever we do at the top levels and, and then how, whether people are scouted, how, you know, sort of use sports response to it to sort of play to the professional, you know, there's, that's just a big part of youth sports that the, whether academies or development places where they look to what are the professionals looking for. And when you have max effort and velocity and it's just about the radar gun and not necessarily about pitching or anything, then you're just like, let me just light up the gun and then we'll figure it out from there. And it's, you know, it's very taxing. And, and we see that with the specialization where guys are, trying to, you know, they just have to come in and starters aren't going to go nine innings. So that's it. So the max effort, although it sounds like in a vacuum, yeah, you want to try your hardest. Uh, that that's just seems to be detrimental to a lot of things, especially when large percentage of young people, they're not going to make it at that level. And, and when you're max efforting in high school, uh, you're just, you're running so much of a risk of injury. So I think that's the, that's really the big concern, like what tone it sets uh, in terms of downstream for, for sort of young athletes. Yeah, well, you know, I've looked into this, and um, both of you raised great points, but they're concerning points because uh, you talk about young athletes, Doug. How are young pitchers training right now? They're training for velocity more and more and more and more. I, I looked this up the other day. We have 72 relievers averaging 97 miles an hour or higher right now. 72. Think about it. <laughs> and that's just the way the game works. And yet, if, if you look at all the research that's been done on this, 
these arm injuries are primarily caused by velocity. You you would might think it's throwing slider, 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 or cutter, 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 cutter. Um, there, there's not a lot of evidence of that. It really stems from velocity, and yet that's what we're encouraging pitchers to do. And, I mean, if you talk to people in front offices, they're actually worried about some of the stuff that baseball thinks is the solution. Ken, you mentioned the, uh, the roster limits, which are going to go into effect. Uh, there's a lot of concern about how that's actually going to play out yes. in real life until everybody adjusts. Our, our team's going to push starters longer, harder, deeper, past the point of fatigue. That's how injury happens. Or does it mean more relief pitchers um, going back to back to back or throwing more pitches than you'd ordinarily be comfortable with? Um, this it's going to be really interesting to see how all that stuff plays out in terms of pitcher health, but I think there's w- one basic rule that I always refer to when we ask about pitcher health, and that is they all get hurt, every one of them. It's amazing. Every pitcher gets hurt. Uh, all right, let back to the mailbag before we totally hijack the show. Can you ready for the next question? Bring it on. Okay. Uh, I mean, you, you you mentioned pitch clock. This is a question about the pitch clock. It comes from John, and he asks, with baseball likely having a pitch clock as soon as next year in order to cut back on time of game, I'm wondering if there's been any talk about potentially amending the rules for tagging runners out at second base and third base. Uh, you know, the, re- the reviews where the replay center is watching in super slow-mo, trying to see if the runner leaves contact with the base for a millisecond with the tag applied, always seems to take multiple minutes to decipher, disrupts the flow of the game with the pitcher standing around the mound. So he asks, why not begin to treat second and third base like first base, where once the runner makes contact with the base, they're safe and cannot be tagged out unless they make a move toward the next base. It's a great point, right? He said this would eliminate the longest part of replay review. It would add more stolen bases since the runners don't have to worry about slowing down their momentum. And it would get rid of something that is just simply not in the spirit of what the system was designed for. Glanville is dying to answer this question. It's not your mailbag, Doug. It's Ken's. It's Ken. You got to start with Ken. You got to start with Ken. I'll give a brief answer, but I do want to defer to Doug since he is the only one on this podcast who has actually Uh, run the bases at the major league level. Careful what you wish for, Doug. (laughs) This is one of his big pet peeves. Okay. All right, Ken, what's your answer? I'll start, John, and this is a good question. For sure it's a good question. And I would agree first and foremost that – it is not in the spirit of the replay rule to be looking for a runner going with his hand one one thousandth of an inch off the bag and getting tagged out because of that. That is not what we designed replay for. But when we brought in replay, there were people, I don't know, Jason, if you were one, but there were writers, and I was not one, who said, hey, you open this Pandora's box and this is the kind of thing you're going to get. I don't know that people anticipated the stolen base or overslide in the base issue in particular, but people certainly were warning 
that you can't just have it for egregious plays. You got to have it for everything, and that's the way it's played out. So I agree that that thing drives me crazy, and I almost would like to see that type of thing not permitted under replay. I don't know how you can legislate that necessarily or enforce it, but to your point, and this is where I'm going to defer to Doug, yes, you run through first base, that's fine, but (laughs) with second and third base, you're sliding in most cases as opposed to third base, uh, first base. And that's the distinction that would make this a difficult thing for me. But what are you saying here? We can just slide however we want and go three miles past the bag. I, I don't know if that is exactly what we want. So there is where I'm going to send it to Doug, because Doug, to me, that is the difference. You see very rarely players slide into first base, but you see them slide into second and third. That's where this comes up. That's the difference between what John is asking about. Yeah, no, I think it's really well laid out question, and I, I think there's so many good points in it. And we've def- we've talked about sort of possession possession of the base, so to speak. Uh, but let me just focus on the stolen base for a second, because I think that's where you could kind of get into this. Uh, there's a lot of reasons why the stolen base is diminished. It's in, that's beyond you know the instant replay issue, right? It's the the probability, the, the ability to score runs, the risk reward equation is very tilted against the stolen base especially with the home runs. Now, dead ball or more dead ball, you kind of rethink that a little bit. But there is a, a truth about stolen base as an art form just disappearing because of the risk. So you already have that. Now, another discouraging factor, certainly to a base stealer, is I have to hold this base. And I have to almost, I have to permanently hold it. And I'm going, you know, 17, 20 miles an hour, whatever, sliding into this base. And, and these fielders are incentivized to keep the glove on you, even slightly nudge you off if they had to, to look for that one little replay to say, oh, yeah, he got off the base. I, I think that's so against what they were seeking when they created the replay. You wanted to correct egregious errors. You wanted to sort of make sure. But now it's become uh, on offense, you know, so to speak. The defense is using the replay offensively, right, to then say, oh, let me find this one little situation where I can get a safe turned into an out because the guy came off by a a centimeter. I think it wasn't at Terrence Gore, one in the playoffs, I think Astros Royals or something where he slid into third base. Uh, So, so that, that, you know, going back to the spirit that you have to really look at it that way. Now, yes, the, the, the other aspect of what I think about is I was trained in an era where we practice sliding all the time, you know, especially spring training. We had sliding mats and, so I learned all these inside slides, outside, hook slide. Like when Jackie Robinson stole home in the World Series in game one, I think it was 1955 when they won, he, he hit a, kind of like a hook slide, like a modified hook slide. It, you don't really see that anymore. I mean, it's not – first of all, there's nobody in your way because they can't block the base and all these things, right? So, <laughs> um, so I think the, the, there's part of me that says, yeah, you should be able to control the base. You know whether you use your hand, but I think I've gotten far away in the stolen base, particularly of what the intent of the replay was. So, yeah, I don't like the idea of someone standing up and running through the base like a track star. But if you're going to slide, I think they started. They should move a little bit towards possession because it's it's ridiculous to be like, oh, I, you came off by, you know, I, I, NASA helped me figure out. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know by a molecule. There's an electron in there somehow that you know. Come on. So we're getting a little too far afield. All right, hold one second. Um, 
Yeah, I was timing the Glanville ran on this. Uh, two minutes, 55.11 seconds. But well good taken. One, He's absolutely yeah. right. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, that's short. I was surprised. I, I, I could have gone about 12 minutes. I, yeah, I would have ta- taken the over on that. But still very, very well vented there. Um, I, I actually like John's point. Um, I, I, nobody's trying to slide into second and go all the way into left field and out the tunnel in the corner. Okay, that, no, That's not going to happen. Um, I think if you are sliding into a base – uh, that I like this principle that once you touch the base, you can't over slide it. And let's let's get rid of this. This is uh this is a waste of everyone's time. It's discouraging base running. It's discouraging base stealing. I am with John. I am with Doug. I am with Ken. We like this idea. Okay, <laughs> if we all agree, shouldn't that be enough? What do we need a competition committee for? Well, let's just do a proclamation. Uh, Mayor of Starkville, <laughs> sign that off. At least in Starkville, you can overslide second. Game. That's right. So. Yeah. All right. Okay. We hold no. We hold no actual baseball games here, but that rule will still apply. All right. We got one more. It is a voicemail. We love the voicemails. It's from Sarah, and let's hear what she asks Ken. Ken, my name is Sarah, and I am from Long Island. I've grown up going to Shea, watching lots of baseball games with my dad. Um, He actually taught me how to keep score at the game, and um, it's something that I love to do. And now as a mom, I want to pass along that tradition to daughters. And um, I just wanted to know about any resources you know about, um, that can help keeping score. So I've tried to find a good app for keeping score as well, but of course I love using um, the program and paper. So I appreciate your tips and thanks so much for your podcast. Sarah, I love this question and we share a good amount in common. I'm from Long Island and I grew up going to games at Shea with my dad teaching me how to score. And I am still a fan of paper and pencil or paper and pen with the scorecard, with your own scorebook. To me, it's just an easier way to follow the game. Now, I will say this. I recall taking my kids to a game at some point. Maybe it was one of them. Maybe it was three of them. I don't remember how many were with me. But I started (laughs) scoring, and they looked at me like I was some kind of ghoul from another planet. Like, what are you doing? So I don't know today – and maybe Jason and Doug can enlighten me on this, how many kids even are interested in scoring. To me, it's a great way to follow the game. It's a great way to understand what's going on in the game. It's just part of the magic of baseball. Now, Doug knows this better than I do because I know he works with Brooke Shambi. There are apps and there are ways to do this on your screen with a stylus and maybe your daughter would be more interested in doing that since kids today live on their screens. But I still prefer to do it the old-fashioned way. Now, I don't do it as neatly and as well as some of the other writers at The Athletic who will occasionally post their scorecards from a game on Twitter, and these are beautifully done. Mine is kind of chaotic. It's my own system. It's not great. But at the same time, it's my way. I like it, and I still believe writing something down is something that stays with you longer than typing it into a screen. 
That's just my personal old school, old fashioned, old man belief. <laughs> All right, well, you're preaching to the choir here because I, you know, I still write down how every team does every day in a little book <laughs> because it, I actually will remember it if I wrote it down. So there, there's that. Here's the second thing. I look around all the time when I'm at a game to see if anybody be, besides me is keeping score. I, nobody is keeping score. But here's my story that ties all of this together. I go to games with my kids and my, my son doesn't keep score. My daughter, Jess, she doesn't keep score. But Hallie, my youngest, one day she looked at me and she said, Dad, what the heck are you doing? And I said, I'm keeping score. And what did she say? I want to keep score. Will you teach me how to keep score? And I said, sure, I would love to do that. <laughs> so I teach her to keep score. And the first game that she ever scores. Doug, pay attention here, because uh -oh. there's a quiz. Eric Milton takes a no-hitter into the ninth <laughs> inning, and I'm thinking, the first game she ever keeps score is gonna be a no-hitter, <laughs> except something then happened. Doug, you can pick it up from here. What happened in the ninth inning that day? Oh, uh, yeah, I think you did tell me that. I totally forgot that. Well, they put me in the Phillies, I was still playing, and they put me in for a, quote, defensive replacement. I, I, I think Ricky Day or someone started. Uh, you can figure that one out. And um, so I, did we get one out? I don't know. There was a blooper. Utley was at second. And it was like a blooper to center. And I broke, I like broke back or I like positioned back. And, of course, trying to keep the, you know, the winning run from the tying run from coming up. I think we were up 2 nothing. And when I broke back, the ball – you know, I knew I was I was running, trying to get it, and I, I remember Utley dove, and he was like 35 feet from the ball. He was trying to catch it. So because I misread it, ball that that broke up the no hitter, and I think they hit the ball over my head the next play, and they tied the game, and all. <laughs> it was a disaster. So I got booed out of the stadium. Latroy Hawkins was pitching. I had the I, Burrow got on. I had to bunt him over. Someone got on first. I had to bunt them over, and he threw one kind of at my head. You know, because that's how they do it with trying to mess up your bunt. And I went on my back, and he got uh, or Latroy got a standing ovation. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was like, "Yeah, this is this isn't a good day." But I got the butt down, and we did did win. But yeah, so that's what happened. Milton, I, I'm definitely uh, responsible for misreading a ball that broke up Eric Milton's no hitter. Although, who hit the ball, by the way, Michael Barrett or something? I don't I, yeah, I don't remember that. Part How did Hallie score it? That's what I want to know. <laughs> I didn't touch it. She, so. put, she should have scored an E8, but she, it was a hit. <laughs> and, uh, hey, the, the other thing that came out of it was, uh, you know, uh, I was a guest uh, many times uh, on the media panel of the baseball, uh, Major League Baseball Rookie Development Program. I think that's the name of it. And, yes. you know, we would talk about how to handle difficult moments. And I will say... I pointed to Doug Glanville as an example of how to handle a moment because when the clubhouse doors opened, <laughs> there was Doug standing right there waiting for us and did not say, not, not make a million excuses, explained exactly what he just explained, why it happened, how it happened, but took ownership of that moment so uh, there's a lot there uh, but we totally digressed yeah you're supposed to, doug was actually supposed to tell um sarah 
whether there is an app yes. you could use oh, to keep yeah. score with. That's yeah. there is, right? Well, you know, I don't. I I actually do. I'm old school pen paper. Uh, pen is bold though these days, by the way, with all the changes. So, <laughs> but um, yeah. I, so I'd have to ask John Chami exactly what he uses, but he has an iPad, and I think it's yeah, it's a pretty big tablet size one. And he, it's a stylus that he uses, and it's, um, and now he has to scroll around a little bit, you know, to find the bullpen or whatever. But uh, he's, he has beautiful handwriting, and he, he's very careful, so it comes out really clearly. So there's, excuse me, there's a lot of technology available, and and I can relate to this because one Father's Day, uh, I took my kids and my wife, and my kids to a, a Hartford Yard Goats, the Double A for the Rockies uh, Yard Goats game, and before that I stood up with a whiteboard and I taught, taught all of them how to score. Now I'm not saying they do this on their own, but I, that's what I did for fathers. I said, I want you guys to know because it, it's the storytelling of it. You, when you look at it, you can see how everything unfolded in your own kind of cadence in your own language, uh, in your own handwriting. And it, it's, it's a way that you kind of own the story and become part of the story. I, I, I love it. And when I look at it, I know, like I scored Albert Pujols pitching. Who would have saw that, right? Like, you, know, I have, you know, it's just, um, so there's a beauty to scoring. And I think it's a way to slow things down in a very fast world and and just kind of connect to the game in a really special way. So I absolutely support it and hopefully find ways to marry that with technology so that we still retain a lot of that tradition, but at the same time, pass it on to the next generation. Yeah. All right. Uh, two more quick things. Uh, one, there's a Sarah, there's actually a new book that just came out by the great Bob Ryan, the Boston Globe sports writer, columnist, yeah. and our friend Bill Chuck, who has stumped us with trivia on this show. And uh, it's because Bob has kept score of every game he's ever attended, mm. uh, thousands of them. And he takes entries from his scorebook and then they talk about what makes them cool. And it, it's true that when you keep score, you can bring those games back to life. So it's a great concept in life. It's a great concept for a book. I was honored to write the forward to the book. It's a good Father's Day present for anybody who keeps score. And Sarah, that's you. That's the big thing. We're just happy to find somebody who still keeps <laughs> score. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network, you're there to look for jobs, you're there to post jobs, and how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. Strange but true. 
you know, Ken, I know that your show can get a little outside the box every once in a while, but never quite like we do when we get to the strange but true segment where Doug and I every week find something to laugh about in baseball that feels like it could happen in no other sport. And this week, we've got an all-time, all-timer, and it didn't even happen in a game. It's like a scene at a major league or something. This was Friday in Cincinnati before the game. I, I, I can't believe still that this happened in real life, but the Giants are in town. The Reds are taking batting practice. The Giants are out in the outfield. I guess they were stretching, huh? And Tommy Pham of the Reds approaches Jock Peterson of the Giants. And Tommy Pham starts talking smack about Jock's shady roster maneuvering in their (laughs) fantasy football league from last fall. And then slaps him and he knocks Jock's shades right off his head. You can see it on YouTube anytime you want. So a couple updates from me. A- he did not break the sunglasses, but B, he definitely broke Twitter. <laughs> I, I, from what I gather, this is baseball Twitter's very favorite baseball story of the entire season. So, boys, we need to talk about this. Uh, first question. Do either of you or have either of you ever played fantasy football? And if so, have you ever slapped anyone in your league? I'll defer to, to count on this one. <laughs> I know the answer for Ken. All right. The answer to the fantasy football question is no, I don't play. I'm one of the few people, I guess, who doesn't. And I don't know that I've ever slapped anyone in my life, much less someone playing fantasy football. Tommy yeah. Pham did something I've never done in my entire life, much less over a fantasy football squad. But I want to make one point here, Jason, before we go further. And I don't mean to be disrespectful <laughs> to players here. But sometimes... You get the feeling. And Doug, I think you'll back me up on this. Players can be a little detached from the normal <laughs> day-to-day life of most average citizens. This kind of thing and the amount of money involved, which we don't know the exact number, but it sounds like it's a big number. And to get upset about it and to get upset about it in that way and to react in that way, which was what was told to our <laughs> intrepid reporters, Andrew Baggerly and Trent Rosecrans, as a Will Smith slap. Yeah. That is kind of something I don't know that the average person really can relate to, although we certainly all enjoyed the story. Yeah, all right. Let, let me interject. Well, I'll, I'll get I'll ask Doug about stuff like this in a, in a minute. But um, I one I know you don't play fantasy football because I did try to drag you into our league and you had no interest. Uh, I do play in the same league as our friend Jerry Krasnick. I can tell you that I've never assaulted Jerry <laughs> over any of his shady roster moves. Jerry's shady? <laughs> I, yeah, uh, Jerry would take issue with that, but we all do our <laughs> share of shady roster move type stuff. Uh, I, I do want to point out someone that I do have an issue with who I would like a moment with. And that is the non-human sports writer algorithm thing that sends us a written wrap-up every week of how we did in fantasy football as coaches. Um, It's obviously not written by a human, but it'll say stuff like, my team is the Rumblers and Grumblers, like it. 
Uh, it'll say stuff like, the rumblers and grumblers would have won easily if Coach Jason Stark hadn't shown again why are they why they are the worst coach in the league. If he had just followed the experts, who I would point out are not even human, he would have scored 3.7 more points and would have won this week. It is the stupidest thing ever. It reminds me why us humans are way better sports writers than those robot algorithm things. But if I ever meet the robot algorithm on the warning track. It's slap time. I'm not sure what would happen. I'm not sure. Okay. <laughs> All right. Enough of that. Second question. Uh, we know both of these guys a little bit. Whose side are we buying? Is it Jock Peterson or is it Tommy Pham, Will Smith? <laughs> I'm buying both, actually. It sounds to me like <laughs> Pham has a grievance. I don't know if he reacted to it the right way, but... What I love about this, one of the many great elements of this story, is Jock has acted like a defense attorney the last two days. He's presented evidence. He's showed his phone to reporters. He's given basically testimony to what happened. And so his side has been presented maybe more eloquently than Tommy, who has said some kind of crazy things. But it sounds like Tommy has a beef. And, hey, that's what baseball is all about. Beefs. <laughs> Yes. Right. Doug, who you, whose side are you buying? Okay. Well, <laughs> unquestionably, Jock Peterson's side. And and here's the thing. Like, all right. So, first of all, people just need to stop slapping people. All right. that's the, that, They can't resolve their problems. This is just not acceptable. Now, I have a six-year-old. Okay. Now, I understand when you go to preschool, you know, it's, what, it's even beyond slapping. People bite each other. Okay. So, all right. We got to, you know, you want to shut that down. By like five, okay. I mean, we we gotta we gotta stop. So that is just you're you're in the wrong. And now let's talk about like grudges, okay? Baseball, yes, we have long memories. We hold grudges. It helps us with patterns, right? Because it's like <laughs> I know what I remember what he pitched me. You know, now of course it's all computerized, but you always used to re rely on your memory a lot and and turn it into an instinct. So I get that. And look, it spills into a lot of grudge issues. Right, you hit me, I'm going to charge the mound. Uh, I remember Hideki Arapu, Rabu, rest in peace. He hit me with the first pitch of the game. You know, I, I felt like I should wait for him in the parking lot. Like, all these things are definitely part of baseball culture, right? The, but, you know, but the thing about fam, and this is pregame, so <laughs> I feel like it spills into a whole other territory. It's, it's more like the parking lot thing. Like, it's not, it's not like, oh, I charged the mound because you hit me and you kind of accept a certain level of, physicality or altercations in game but when you're like pre-game premeditated thought about this all this time and had all this time <laughs> to de-escalate and you chose to slap somebody yeah that's that's like way that's way beyond baseball uh i haven't read everything but the little bit i've read i don't see a whole lot of remorse i see him <laughs> justifying it and so he got suspended for three games and he makes it whatever how much he makes a lot uh i you know i just wonder if baseball would you know, because of his reaction, you know, Pete Rose, right? I know I'm getting extreme here, but Pete Rose, because he was so not remorseful or just addressing, you know, that kind of kept him out. I think he could have done things to fix that uh, sooner if, if it was about the Hall of Fame or whatever. <laughs> so in this case, if someone is just like, yeah, I, that's absolutely how I handle things. I'm sort of like, maybe you shouldn't play for a while until we kind of reconcile this, right? So... So that's like the serious side of it. Like, yeah, I 
you shouldn't be playing if you actually think this was actually the right thing to do. You should like until I mean, they have a whole domestic violence policy. Right. And does this apply? I mean, that's the serious side of it, because there, there's no way. All right. So I'm going to, you know, on, on true stories. All right. My manager in AAA slapped me at one point and it wasn't it really? wasn't it wasn't a wind up. It wasn't a wind up. Will Smith, like running from 20 feet away. I think he thought. He was kind of Dewey in a sort of a funny, sort of, I wouldn't say funny, but in a way that was more like, hey, you know, get your base running together. Some mistake I made on the field. But it stung. It was a legit slap. And when you take the context of how horrific my relationship was with him for a year before that, then you take it very differently, right? Like, it's you know, all right, someone you're playing around with, maybe you could kind of work with that and your friends, but this was like someone that you absolutely like oil and water with. And so, so obviously Fannin was no friend of Jock Peterson. So, so that's the other side of it. Like, yeah, I'm okay with slapping robots and algorithms. Like that's cool. Like, go ahead, you know, uh, mainframes, <laughs> go right ahead. But I mean, like, you know, I, I just don't think three games is enough. Quite frankly, I'm not saying there's a number, but you need, there's some sort of restorative justice that has to happen here before you could even think about getting back on the baseball field. That, like, from what I've read so far, and maybe I don't have all the information, but I don't care how much you lost on some bet or whatever. Like, I, I don't know. That's just where I'm coming from uh, based on my experience. And the thing about me and my manager is I had no course. I had no recourse. Back then, you know, if I was on Twitter, maybe you know, I, I probably wouldn't have gone that way either. But I, I talked to my agent. And this was one of like 300 incidents with this guy. So, you know, I don't know. Like, I'm trying to think about recourse and how important it was that I couldn't do anything. And I certainly wasn't going to retaliate for not only for the principle of not punching someone in the face, but also just sort of like that's my manager. And there's no way this is going to turn out good for me. I don't I don't make the big leagues if I punch him in the face. How, how do you overcome that reputation no matter what? So I didn't have a choice. I just had to take it. And, and play the long game. And I, you know, and it takes the patience, a lot of patience to not retaliate. So, so that's the part that I'm like, eh, I, you know, it's not cool on any level. You should never put your hands on anybody unless completely self-defense and your, you know, your, your, your life is at stake or something like that. I, I just think that is horrible. And I don't see how fam should be on the field. That That's just how I think of it. He should not Jason. be on the field until you straighten out. So maybe I need more information, but Ken can help me out here. <laughs> no, I, I want to clarify one thing. I agree with exactly what Doug is saying. I thought Jason's question was more about the actual beef itself and who is in the right. There's some kind of issue with the injured reserve list. That was what I was talking about. But Doug is That's, talking about oh, yeah, something yeah, a little I, bit more yeah, serious. Yeah, yeah. Soci societally, we, yes. we can right. right. And also, I would like to know, and I'm not going to ask Doug to name names, but my goodness, what triple A manager, what any what person in baseball has a problem with Doug? Doug's like one of the most likable people on earth. And Doug, don't go any further. We don't have to go any further with it, but that to me is just absurd. No, that's fine. I I'm not gonna name names. People figure it out. No, they, I don't want you know. to know. I've had yeah. I've had a podcast. It's not it's it's out there. So um I, I it's think just absurd. I, That's all I'm saying. But I, but I had I went through and I'm not gonna I know I don't want to turn this into like thirty minutes rant, but I, I had I had about I had a year and a half of torment in AAA. Okay, that's just that's, that's, that's just a simple right. way. That was one of a whole lot of incidents, 
And now, yeah, I made mistakes as a base runner. I made mistakes, of course. And I realized that there was ways I needed to mature. Sure, of course, all that. So I don't think of, I learned a lot from that experience, even though it was hard and difficult and really unacceptable, but I did. Uh, but even when I got called up for the very first time, a joyful moment, he turned it into a horrific, like, if you make mistakes up there, like like you do down here, you're going to be right back here. That That's that's what I got. So that was my call up. Okay, well, I'm so, going to say this, um, Doug, you did a little yeah. bit better than he did. Whoever this person is, you did. A, you, yeah, kinda, yeah. You kind of you made it OK. You did OK. No, I appreciate that. So, um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, one day I, I, I have a list somewhere I shared with my agent back in the day. So. We could go over that. But yes, um, so in short, yes, I, inanimate objects, you know, we you know, yes. we tell our kids when they were younger, you know, punch a pillow or something like that. Uh, I, yeah, this wasn't cool. So beef-wise, you know, I think, well, Jack Peterson's presented the evidence that, you know, seemed like he's got it all together. So he's made a very compelling case. I haven't really heard from fam from an evidence standpoint. So we'll see. But <laughs> no matter what he presents, no matter what he presents – you can't slap people. So that's, Amen. you know, I don't care if you lost a million dollars or whatever, you can't slap people or you should, and, and you're getting away with it because you're on a baseball field and not out in the street. You can't go up. I'm going to slap the guy at CVS because he didn't pack my bag. Right, dude. So anyway, I'm, I'm going to stop now. <laughs> so. Yeah. Let, let, let's turn this in a slightly more lighthearted direction. Uh, the best we can tell this Whatever this roster subterfuge was <laughs> that Jack Peterson was pulling, it happened like eight months ago. Yes. Uh, and then all these months later, Tommy Pham has to exact his revenge. Uh, Doug, you played baseball. Uh, do baseball players, <laughs> like, they hold these grudges for months, Ever. years at a time? Ever. What's the deal with this? Forever. There's no statute of limitations, okay? You <laughs> hold grudges Forever. And I'm not sure what it takes to settle it other than maybe, unfortunately, charging the mound. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I know that, um, you know, I, I, I always tell about charging the mound in double A. But then when I charged the mound, that team hit me the first pitch of the game in the next series. And the managers got in a fight in between double headers. <laughs> it just kept going. So I'm not sure what actually settles the score, even even the brawls. But no, you, you just have these long memories. And all right, Tim Wakefield, you know. I, I probably shouldn't have a beef with Tim Wakefield. He probably, but we had a beef, I think, and maybe it was just me. But I, he came down to Double A when he was you know, like he struggled with his knuckleball one year with Pittsburgh, and he kind of lost it. So he got sent to Double A, and he pitched against us when uh, he was with the Mudcats, and I was with Orlando Cubs, and I hit a triple, I hit a double and a triple off him, something like that. And on the triple, I got the third, and he had the backup third. And as he was going back to the mound, he was just staring at me. And it was really uncomfortable after a while. Like, so I said, like, what are you looking at? It was something like that. He's like, what are you looking at? It was something oh, it's like, whatever. <laughs> so everybody's like, oh, tough guy, the major leaguer down, he's too good to be in double A. So that was the beef. All right. So literally from that day forward, 94, I, I was like, had that in the back of my mind and faced him a few times. And I was convinced that many years later, he threw at me. Now, I'm probably imagining this, but it was like the thousandth game of my career in Texas. He's with Boston. He threw a knuckleball at my head in a 2-1 count. That's what I thought. And then I actually hit a home run <laughs> on the next pitch. <laughs> so I like I could be completely making this up. Uh, but the funny thing is during that grudge period, 
the Phillies asked me to do a charity event with the Boys and Girls Club in Orlando. And it was a long trip from Clearwater. So I get on this bus and I'm like, or whatever, driving the taxi. I get there. And who is my partner for this charitable commercial? Tim Wakefield. Of course. He's sitting, <laughs> in, the tra- he's sitting in the trailer. I'm like, it would be inappropriate to fight at a charity event for Boys and Girls Club, right? In the in the trailer. So, you know, so we we talked then. So I don't know what Tim Wakefield, someone can send him a message. He probably has no idea what I'm talking about. But uh, that's the conspiracies that we put on our heads a lot because we remember those things when you were wronged. And it's completely petty, and that's baseball players in general, but it also serves them well because you have to remember patterns, and it's it's really critical to your success in the game. See, see I thought you were going to tell the story about hitting two home runs off Schilling to, to avenge the uh, EverQuest uh, histrionics. <laughs> whatever. We're not going to get into that no, this, this week, okay? But look, here's the moral of the story. Never play fantasy football with Tommy Pham. Got it, everybody? <laughs> Tommy Pham ever invites you to his league? The answer is no, not doing that. All right, that's going to do it for the Starkville edition of Ken's Mailbag or the Ken's Mailbag edition of Starkville or whatever this is. Just know that next week we'll be back in our usual spots in the lineup. Ken will lead off on Monday. Starkville will hit second on Tuesday. And then there'll be lots more podcast magic all week long on the Athletic Baseball Show, which is available in its entirety, absolutely free, everywhere you get your podcasts. And if you enjoy this sort of thing, you should know we also write a lot. <laughs> if you'd like to read our writing, that can be arranged. Just go to theathletic.com slash baseball show. And if you're a new subscriber, you can subscribe for just $1 a month for the next six months. How about that for a deal? So Ken and Doug, thanks for playing. Thanks to the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster, for producing us, for putting up with us, and for letting me ask the Ken's mailbag questions. And thanks to you all for listening. Tomorrow it is roundtable day here on the Athletic Baseball Show. And as for us, uh, we'll be back with our usual programming, including Starkville trivia, next week. So have a great Memorial Day, everybody. Everybody.